I transferred from Los Angeles, your school has no gymnastics team, and this is our last resort. <coughs> I'm panicking in the UK, this is Panicky Pictures. Um, I am doing an episode today on both Clueless and Bring It On. Uh, you might have been aware that this is the 25th anniversary of uh, Clueless coming out. I think there were a few pieces earlier in the year um, celebrating the anniversary of its US premiere, but its UK premiere was actually the 20th of October, which is the same day that Bring It On came out five years later. So I thought it would be a fun opportunity to talk about both of those two films kind of in tandem. Um, I think that there are certain similarities between the two. Um, they both kind of centre on privileged California queen bee types uh, who kind of have to come face to face with their privilege and realise that they've been naive or even, you might say, clueless. But there are also plenty of differences between the two and um, we'll be getting into that. And I was so privilege to be able to speak to somebody whose knowledge and love of these films totally put mine to shame um, and that's Erica Jade Mulherin um, and uh, we'll get into that conversation in a few moments and I really hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. There was one thing that I forgot to mention in our conversation or couldn't find an opportunity to work in, uh, which is just a, a funny thing um, about Clueless. I was listening to a podcast where um, a couple of guys were discussing it for whatever reason, and they interpreted um, the, the, the line where Cher says that both she, she and Dion were named after kind of pop superstars. They interpreted it as meaning that Dion was named after... Celine Dion, which I thought was almost clueless. Alright, I'm going to stop doing that. Um, anyway, my conversation with Erica is coming right up. Um, I should say this was recorded over Skype. Um, I think it's very listenable and the audio is pretty good. There are just a few moments um, where it just becomes a little bit garbled um, or the audio just drops out for a second. Um, I really don't think that it should kind of impede your understanding of what we were talking about at all. Um, there just might be the odd moment where you can't quite make out exactly what one of us is saying. Um, but I think the, the audio quality in general is not too bad at all. Um, so uh, let's get right into it. I'm Erica. I live in Vancouver, Canada. I grew up in the like 90s, 2000s. So these movies, like I've watched them probably well over 20 times each. Um, they're some of my favorite movies. This whole genre of like teen, teen movie is probably one of my favorites still to this day. Um, yeah. Great. Yeah, me too, actually. Um, I uh, I think I, I honestly have lost track of how many times I've seen Clueless. I haven't seen Bring It On so many times, but Clueless is a big uh, rewatch in my house. Um, and yeah, I, I also grew up kind of 90s, 2000s. So um, so yeah, I have kind of the same experience with them. Shall we start off with Clueless, seeing as that came out first in yeah, 95? Totally. Okay, great. Do you remember when you first uh, saw Clueless? I couldn't tell you what year it was, but I think it was probably, I would have been under 10 years old, mm. um, just like probably scrolling through the channels because I lived in the middle of the woods kind of 
Uh, oh my so gosh. I watched a lot of movies and TV because <laughs> I yeah. didn't have neighbor kids or whatever. Um, and so I remember scrolling onto it and just like seeing the visuals and was like, whoa, this is great. And then throughout the years, it became something that I would, re- would rewatch for different reasons. Either I'd be like, oh yeah, the fashion in that movie was really cool. Or I, I went through a period where I was obsessed with Brittany Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was definitely probably just flicking through like the t- movie channels back when I was super young. Yeah, I saw it pretty young as well. Um, I'm pretty sure that I, it just came on TV. I maybe would have missed the first 10, 20 minutes of it the first time I saw it. Um, so I just would have been channel hopping. Um, but I'm pretty sure I saw it with my dad, actually. Um, so I used to uh, stay with my dad at the weekends and uh, we'd watch a lot of TV. And I remember watching it with him. It's like quite an early memory. Um, and, uh, I remember being, I probably was quite young, probably also under 10 or around that age. Um, and just being very naive, like it did not occur to me at all that, um, Christian was going to turn out to be gay. And my dad had to like explain it to me. Um, cause I was kind of like, well, I, I think that I had seen an adaptation of Emma at that point. So I was, I kind of knew it was Emma and I was trying to relate it to that. Or maybe it was that my dad was explaining to me how it was related to Emma. But I just remember there being so many jokes that went over my head. And, you know, that's really kind of um, dawned on me over the years how much I missed on that first watch. Um, Have you had a similar experience of kind of um, your relationship with the film changing as you get older? Absolutely. I think, um, yeah, even when I watched it, because I watched it on Friday um, to get ready for this, and I swear every time I watch it, there's a joke that I didn't get just because mm. I didn't have, like, that form of life experience yet, and, like, watching it with a different eye, and I think when I was younger, I watched it, and I was just like, wow, like, Cher is so, like, pretty and fashionable, and she's so funny, and da-da, like, I just want to be just like her, and then I realized there were so many other really cool elements of the story, um and yeah I don't think I got that Christian was gay until much much later like probably when I was in like my teens Mm -hmm. um but yeah every time I watch it I'm like oh yeah like I get that and like learning just more like about like even LA like when he said last night or when I watched it last time I noticed the dad saying like everywhere in LA takes 20 minutes and it's like well now with like follow like Instagram and whatever you see like the big joke in LA is that there's traffic all the time and I think that cements it as a 90s moment um I actually appreciated that her dad more than anything else in that recent watch and I'm like oh yeah I'm like I'm a few years older and now I'm on the dad's side instead of the <laughs> oh god yeah absolutely I find that so much these days when I go back to films I watched as a kid and I'm like oh my sympathies have totally shifted I think definitely with Cher you know when I first watched it she was so aspirational and now when I go back and I realize you know that she is indeed clueless in a lot of ways in really endearing ways I still think she's a really likable character but um but you know I I think that when I was a kid watching it I was kind of like oh I'm getting some tips here like one thing that I really remember from watching it the first time or first couple of times was that line where she says, um, it's good to show a lot of skin because it makes boys think about sex. Um, and, you know, like obviously watching it as an adult, I, you know, it's a funny line. But watching it as a kid, I was like, "Ooh, good advice. You know, Cher's rule for life have played in my head multiple times throughout my yeah. life. 
like when I was a teenager or whatever, and I had like a crush on a boy, I would like run through that whole series with like, bring attention to your mouth, show a little mm. bit of skin, always have something baking when they come over. Like, I feel like a lot of who I was as a, like a teenager and like young adult was shaped by Cher Horowitz because I've seen that movie so many times. Not and absolutely, I, yeah, yeah. I'm personally offended that uh, technology has come as far as it has and we don't have her closet available oh, to us. Yeah. Yes. I actually think that every time I watch it, I'm like, why is that still not a thing? Like that was pretend computers back then. Like no one had a computer in their house. Well, a few people did, but it was like Oregon Trail. And I'm like, we can hologram people from the dead to perform at Coachella, but I can't select my outfit on a computer and have it swing to me. It's I'm so true. <laughs> Yeah, I guess what you could do is you could make a sim of yourself and then you could do like mod outfits that you put That's in the smart. wardrobe. Yeah, I mean, eh. but no, they, sh- they should really bring something out for that. That could be an app. It should be an app. Yeah. And like, yeah, they could connect with a, a closet company to have the closet with the spinning rails or whatever. It needs to be a thing. You know, I mean, you could do this. I don't know if you code, but, you know, you could maybe team up with somebody. This could ha- be how you make your first million. You never know. Could be. Well, you heard it here first. Yeah. Well, don't worry. I won't I won't steal the idea. I can't code at all. And uh, I'm not good at making money. So. <laughs> um, you said that that was going to be her, like, claim to fame. But I don't know if it's gotten off the ground. But no. we can reconvene on that. Let's hope. So do you think, um, do you have a character that you kind of relate to, especially in this movie, that you kind of think that is me? Or do you more kind of just enjoy it for the, um, you know, like the fashion and the atmosphere and everything? Or is there somebody that you can kind of latch on to? I think throughout, like throughout my life, I probably connected with different people, but I think mostly Ty, Mm -hmm. Um, just like feeling out of place. And, but what I like about Ty is that she does, go in that direction and like kind of changes herself temporarily but at her core she still goes back to who she was at the beginning um and I think I've done that a lot and through yeah I mean I watched it a lot in high school and middle school so that is when you're trying to fit in but like and I went to a school that was kind of similar where it was a bunch of like not as privileged as Beverly Hills obviously but like where you seemed a little bit less privileged though I think Ty, it's interesting because she's portrayed that way, but really I think she has, her family is equally as wealthy and equally, um, she has the equal amount of privilege, but her lifestyle is different and plastered against that background of like Beverly Hills prep school. You would instantly think of her as poorer or less than, and I always kind of identified with that growing up. Well, I want to, I actually want to come back to that when we talk about Bring It On, because I think that that kind of brings in, like, um, class a little bit more, and I think that's really interesting, Uh, whereas I totally agree with you. I think that Clueless is pretty much, like, privileged people wall to wall, Um, Mm -hmm. even though Ty maybe kind of presents herself in a slightly different way, and she's from New York and everything, but, you know, like, you don't get the sense in Clueless that anybody is really underprivileged in any real way, Mm. Uh, which is interesting, right? Because obviously it's based on Emma, which is actually very class conscious and very much about that. Whereas it kind of gets translated rather than being about class or about money, it becomes about um, kind of high school cliques, um, which I think is a perfectly valid way to do it. And I think it works really well, but I just think it's kind of an interesting um, translation. 
Uh, do you are you like a fan of Emma or Jane Austen or anything? Do you kind of um, make that link when you watch Clueless, or do you just enjoy it more on its own terms? I like it more on its own terms. I think it was only in the last like ten years that I actually learned that it was based on Emma, um, and because I've read Pride and Prejudice, and mm-hmm. Emma's always been on my list, but I just haven't been revisiting like the classic novels phase of reading lately. <laughs> I've been mostly reading. Uh, newer things but I think it's it would be really interesting to watch because I love watching movies that are based on more historical material like 10 things I hate about you once I learned it was um the taming of the shrew yeah I loved it so much more and I appreciate it more because I see all of the direct links they make to that so I think I really should make reading Emma a priority now that I've recently watched Clueless again I think it would add another level of enjoyment to it yeah, I've actually been planning to read Emma. Um, it's one of the Austins that I haven't read. I read Pride and Prejudice like years ago as a kid. Um, and then I read Mansfield Park at University because it was a set text. Um, I read Persuasion more recently. And uh, oh, Northanger Abbey I had as an audiobook when I was like a teenager. So I kind of know it. Sense and Sensibility, I love the Emma Thompson film. Um, but I've never read it all the way through. So that and Emma are the two kind of biggest blind spots in terms of reading Austen, but um, there are lots of adaptations that I really enjoy. Have have you seen the um, Autumn de Wilde version that came out this year of Emma? No, I haven't. I really enjoyed it. Um, It's probably my favourite adaptation of Emma that isn't Clueless. Um, Because there was a Gwyneth Paltrow one, which I think was fine. And then there was like, this probably wouldn't have made it um, across the Atlantic, but there was another adaptation. I think it was BBC and it was like Romler, Gary, which I also thought was pretty good. But um, definitely the most recent one, I think, is the best that I've seen. So I'd recommend that um, if you're uh, maybe if you want to read the book first and then check it out. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's, it's worth a watch, I think. It's um, Anya Taylor-Joy and Mia Goth and Johnny Flynn. Um, A lot of really good people in it, actually. That sounds really good. I think, and yeah, being able to, after having this conversation and having recently watched Clueless, I think Mm. even more engaged. And I don't think it even matters what order I read the book or watch the movie, where normally I'm very particular about reading the book before I see a movie. But I think at this point, I could just relate them both to Clueless, and it would be a great... Oh, definitely, yeah. I think when I when I first saw an Emma adaptation, which probably would have been the Gwyneth Paltrow one, maybe it was the other one, I the whole time I was going kind of like, oh, that's like that part in Clueless where that happens. I get it. It's Clueless is very much my baseline for anything related to Emma. But I, I did, yeah, I did really enjoy the um, the latest adaptation. It took me maybe like twenty minutes to kind of get into it and figure out what it was doing but then after that I was really enjoying it so yeah I didn't actually rewatch Clueless because I saw it in the last six months um so your memory is going to be a lot fresher than mine but I kind of feel like I practically have it off by heart anyway I've seen it so often I will say I did do like a little bit of a refresher I did some quizzes and um I took I actually took three uh personality quizzes to see which clueless character I was what did you get I got one Josh and two ties okay yeah which I was really surprised about Josh I get like that feels right I would not say that I generally identify with Ty I think she's a great character and you know I love Brittany Murphy but 
yeah, I never would have um, placed myself as a tie, so that was really interesting. But I guess you know the quizzes don't lie. Yeah. So no, a Buzzfeed is clear and final. Absolutely. Yeah. Just an executioner. Exactly. So yeah, there you go. Um, and uh, I take Buzzfeed quizzes not sporadically. So. <laughs> 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 yeah. So that was really interesting. Um, but I did actually rewatch Bring It On because I haven't seen that quite so often. So, oh, um, is there anything else you want to say about Clueless before we move on? Oh, I completely forgot. Yeah, I, I have something to say, but you go first <laughs> if you have anything. Um. I just, Clueless is one of those movies to me and it really cemented my mind last night where I feel like no scene is wasted. Like mm. every scene is gold, yeah. like comedy gold. And I've watched, I'd say it's one of those movies that I do watch roughly yearly. Yeah. Um, it's, it's one of my comfort movies. So to just, yeah, be able to really dive into it and talk to it. I'm just very excited. Um, Cause yeah, it is one of the best movies I think I've probably ever watched and like will be one of my like forever go-to movies. No, I totally agree. I, I feel like I never get sick of it. I probably also watch it roughly once a year. It's one that I can just come back to anytime. And it's exactly the same for me. It's absolutely a comfort movie. And I think so much of that is that there's no real antagonist in the movie. I mean, there are some characters that are less likable, like um, Elton and is it Amber? Um, yeah. Monet. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, it's such a wholesome movie and it's just about somebody who is trying their best and kind of getting things wrong, but not because they're malicious, just because they're naive and who, you know, is just trying to be a good person and is surrounded by people who are also mostly just doing their best, you know. And one thing that I absolutely love at the end is when she's trying to improve herself and she kind of talks about all of her friends like Dion and Murray right her boyfriend yeah. that they love each other and that um Christian always sees beauty in things and it's just like she she just kind of lists all these things that she appreciates about the people around her and I just think that's so wholesome and and so sweet and it's you know, and I really love also the fact that she and Christian have this great friendship, whereas in Emma, it's, uh, he's kind of more of a cad, that figure. Yeah. Um, whereas here, he's like, he's a really good guy, you know, like they, uh, there's a little bit of a misunderstanding, but they work it out. They remain friends. They appreciate each other. I love that, you know, and like, I, I, no, sorry, go on. Oh, I was just saying, like, going off that Christian point is with both clueless and bring it on I think they have really good representations of the queer community where they have gay characters and like there are some stereotypes of course that I think mm. just help make the audience relate um but for both uh in bring it on I can never remember his name I always want to say Jan but it's not Jan and then with Christian it's both of them it's like oh yeah we're gay and then they just like are accepted and just like move on with their lives it's not like about this tortured queer character and it's just yeah. that they're loved and accepted um and then I think with with Cher, like, she is just trying to do her best. And I think it's a really good, interesting element when we talk about privilege and how much that's coming up, um, especially in, like, the media and stuff these days, is that Cher is privileged, and that's where a lot of her naivety comes from. And it's showing that just because you're privileged, it doesn't mean you're bad, it doesn't mean you're evil, it doesn't mean you're malicious, but you can unknowingly do harm to people in trying to do your best, because that's all you all you know. Um, and I think Cher is a really, and she's intelligent just because you're privileged doesn't mean you're dumb. Like you see her, her business smarts, her, um, 
organization. She is, she's built, she is an intelligent girl with skills you can learn, but you do see a lot of this cluelessness and naivety because of her privilege. And I think it's a really good analogy to talk about how, yeah, like you're not necessarily a bad person because you come from privilege, but once you recognize it, you can start to make better moves, which I think she does towards the end of the movie. Absolutely. I think that's really true. And I think that's something that maybe comes through even more and bring it on, actually, that kind of delves a little bit deeper into those issues. Um, But I think with both of these movies, it's really interesting that the heroes, I think, are probably characters that would have been the villains in an 80s movie, you know, like in a Revenge of the Nerds or like a John Hughes movie. These characters probably would have been the antagonists more, I think. Absolutely. Um, So I think it's really interesting that you have these kind of like blonde, pretty, um, privileged kind of queen bee characters who are still very sympathetic despite being flawed. I think it's quite interesting that you see that in both of these films. Um, But before we move on to um, Bring It On, um, I do just want to say about Clueless, it almost feels like, I don't know, it it almost feels like a real indictment of kind of the way that Hollywood treats women, the way that most of the women in this film, like their careers kind of sputtered out. I mean, Alicia Silverstone, I think, basically got bullied out of Hollywood because she put on a little bit of weight when she was doing Batman and Robin. Stacey Dash, I think, um, kind of... She has of, a whole load of controversy behind her, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And Brittany Murphy, I mean, Ugh. obviously her career kind of went a lot better than most people's, but just so tragic what happened to her. And I know there's still, you know... Uh, I think there's still a little bit of ambiguity about whether, you know, she was a drug user or whether people have talked about there being like um, mold in her house. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember when I was in university, I think I was sick um, and I spent, was in bed for like three days and I watched every single one of her movies in order. And it was the best three days of my life because even her smaller non-successful movies were so good that I just, yeah, I'm really sad about her. And I've lo- I've tried to look into her death because there is such a mystery around it. And I'm just like, what happened? Because she was just such a light. Like so many of my favorite movies growing up had her in them. Yeah, absolutely. And her voice work as well. I mean, she was in King of the Hill. I think actually one of her kind of most underrated roles actually is Luann. Like I think what she's doing in that show is so funny and so clever you know, and so full of heart as well. Like that character could be a joke, but I think that she brings so much warmth to it, you know? Absolutely. And I, and I think that's true across her career, actually, um, that she just has this real warmth and this real, like, comedic genius, but intelligence. Like, she, oh, man, it's it's such a loss, I think. She, um, I, just, I think of so many roles that she could have played, like, especially as, like, film progressed and things started being more progressive like I feel like we would she would have been a really good Barbie in like a modern day like gritty Barbie oh wow Um, yeah and I feel like because King of the Hill uh was Greg Daniels who did The Office and like I'm like could Brittany Murphy have been on The Office Mm, as like a character like I just I really really am sad that her career didn't get to progress because she was so so talented and like Uptown Girls like that character to this day will be one of my all-time favorite characters. I actually haven't seen that. Um, 
I, you need I to should. watch it tonight. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's, Dakota Fanning is perfect in it. Oh, I she love Dakota Fanning. There's another, it's, because there's, you know how in Bring It On, there's Just What I Need, which I'll talk about how much I love later, but mm-hmm. it also has its own uh, custom music. Uh-huh. Uh, Sheets of Egyptian Cotton is a banger. Um, it's so good. It's probably, I would say, in my top five Britney Murphy movies. Oh my gosh, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's so sad. I, but also, I think what happened to Alicia Silverstone, not a tragedy on that level, but still, you know, really still sad because she really was sad. Yeah, absolutely. I really think that she, she, I mean, obviously, she's the main character, but I also think in a lot of ways, she's really the heart of this movie. And I think if somebody with less kind of earnestness who wasn't taking the role as seriously and didn't have that just kind of likability to her. If, if if it had been another actor, it might not have been as successful, I think. I just think what yeah. Silverstone is doing is so great here. Um, and then Heckling as well kind of fell off the radar, uh, even though at the time she was one of the more successful female directors. Uh, it just seemed like she wasn't able to get stuff made, even off the back of the success of Clueless and um, Fast Times at Richmond High. So, it ju- I mean, obviously it was a different time for women in Hollywood, but it's just, it feels like, you know, I mean, Paul Rudd came out of it pretty well and this was his breakout <laughs> movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but for everybody else, almost everybody else, especially the women, it just feels like, you know, it didn't really happen for them in the same way. And I mean, you know, I know Alicia Silverstone did go on to get roles, but then kind of had to drop out of Hollywood, I think, just because of the abuse that she received because she, you know, put on a few pounds. It's just, and it's just like such an absurd reason to, for this to happen, especially in now, like today where it's all body positivity and whatever, but it wasn't that long ago that that happened. Um, it really wasn't. And I also think, you know, people, people talk a big talk about body positivity. I think that, you know, that there's still a long way to go on that. It's another sure. way to sell products right mm. now. I I think. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's nice to see bigger girls in pictures, and I, I feel more represented that way as well. But I ultimately, I know how business works. Um, yeah. And I think the other thing that Alicia Silverstone caught a lot of heat for was breastfeeding, which is another thing that it's like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, I, I wasn't aware of that actually. That oh god, that's that's so upsetting. Yeah, I think she posted like an Instagram or something where she was breastfeeding like a few years ago and it blew up in her face. And I think that was kind of one of her first times, like you really heard her name again um, was yeah, because she caught flack for breastfeeding, which is just, oh, for God's sake. It's, it's like, you know, we really haven't come as far as we like to think we have sometimes. So yeah. we're great at patting ourselves on the back though. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Horowitz's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully we're just trying to do better. Um, but Anyway, uh, let's yeah. try to uh, yeah uh, cheer ourselves up a little bit by moving on to Bring It On. Um, so I I really like Bring It On, but it's not for me. Um, it's not one that I've rewatched as many times as I've seen Clueless by a long way. Clueless for me is like a real classic. Um, Bring It On is a film that I like, but have maybe only seen three or four times. Um, how about for you? Is it is it a big rewatch for you? It's a huge rewatch for me. That's another one of my first movies I put on, especially with it being on Netflix. Like, I'll put it on if I'm cleaning. I'll put it on if I'm sick. If I just don't know what to watch, but I want to sit around and do nothing, I put it on. Um, and I remember 
when it first came out, I, cause I, like I said, I grew up in the middle of the woods, but it was a small town um, that I lived on the outside of. And so when something hit our town, there weren't a lot of kids. So like everyone became really obsessed with it. So I think mm-hmm. one group of girls watched bring it on at a sleepover. And then I think I rented it and watched it like 10 times that weekend because there was only one video rental store in our town. And if that video was rented, you couldn't get it. Oh my God. Wow. Um, And so, and we were obsessed. Like there was a bunch of like, I don't know. So it came out in 2000. So it was Mm -hmm. a bunch of like eight-year-olds singing, I'm sexy, I'm cute, et cetera. cetera. (laughs) And to this day, if I hear the words, I'm sexy, the entire cheer goes through my head. Like I can do it. It's one of those useless things. It's boy band lyrics and the cheers for Bring It On that I know. Um, It's, yeah, it's like in my blood. That's one of my all-time favorite movies. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Well, I'm... Yeah, I, I'll try and kind of hand the reins over to you a little bit then, because even though I did just rewatch it, it sounds like you've got um, a lot more of a handle on it than I have. But so you, you first watched it when you were about eight years old, you think? Yeah, I would say eight or nine, because th- things did, did generally hit our town a little bit later. So it would have come out when I was eight. So it would have been yeah eight or nine that I watched it. Yeah, um, I I don't remember when I first watched it, but it would have been I would have been older. Um, I didn't see it at the cinema I don't think um I probably was maybe 12 or 13 before I saw it certainly older than when I saw Clueless um but I I remember really enjoying it and being very impressed um had you seen Buffy or anything like that beforehand I didn't get into Buffy until I was quite a bit older I'd seen like scenes here and there but I think like I saw sex scenes and panicked because I was a child (laughs) I'm not allowed to watch this um (laughs) Um, and I didn't, I didn't actually watch a ton of like TV series growing up. I think it was more, I would watch movies, um, like during the day, but I, I was aware of Buffy. Yeah. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of Buffy, um, but I did watch it. Um, it was, I think it was on like, uh, so on BBC two in the nineties, we used to have the Simpsons and then Malcolm in the middle and then Buffy, I think I'm right in saying. So I would watch like that whole block. Um, and I enjoyed Buffy. I have friends who are like Buffy fanatics, um, and I'm not one of those, but I, I did watch it. I enjoyed it. And Faith definitely was one of my favorite characters. So I was really excited to see Eliza Dushku in something. Um, and you know, it occurred to me, like we think of the big kind of vampire boom as happening when Twilight came out and, you know, True Blood and all of that. But actually, both uh, Kirsten Dunst and Eliza Dushku both had their breakout roles in, in vampire life. stuff. Yeah, in like Buffy and in Interview with a Vampire, mm-hmm. which were both 90s. So it's like, actually, that's just, you know, been popular forever, really. But yeah, so I mean, I, I went into it being a big fan of Eliza Dushku. I don't know if I had strong feelings either way about Kirsten Dunst, but I think she's great in this movie. I think a lot of, see, a lot of people watched were interested in Eliza Dushku because of Buffy, whereas Eliza Dushku became one of my favorite actresses in the 2000s because of Bring It On. And right, it was yeah. knowing that she was in Buffy that made me interested in watching Buffy. And same with like her, I don't know if you've seen the movie The New Guy. Um, uh, I don't think so. With DJ Qualls, I believe his name is. Um, yeah, I've, I've actually, I, the, my main association with DJ Qualls is... Um, well, uh, Z Nation. We say, oh no, wait, in Canada, do you say Z or Z? I mean, technically we say Z, but if you're talking about a movie or something, you would yeah. say 
how it's pronounced but sure yeah so <laughs> Z- I know well yeah I always feel a little bit embarrassed saying Z Nation because it feels like I'm putting it on but obviously that is the name of it um but I kind of I call it Z Nation in my head um <laughs> but uh, but yeah so DJ Qualls I mostly know him from that um but yeah so he was in something with Eliza Dishku yeah so it's called the new guy and it's like yeah it's basically this like super nerd and shows up at a new school and then he like learns lessons from like a prison inmate on how to be cool and oh, uh, wow. Eliza Dishku I believe is, is the girl that he like goes for it's a, it's so good like if you like Clueless and bring it on I think you would like the new guy it's very very late 90s early 2000s mm-hmm. um vibes but so again because the same way with Brittany Murphy, with certain actresses, like, I just cling on to them and I will watch everything they're in. And Eliza Dushku and Kirsten Dunst were both one of those for me. Um, I haven't seen anything with Kirsten Dunst that I liked in a while. I can't even think of anything recent she's been in, but... Yeah, well, she she did, um, ooh, uh, Hidden Figures, I think she was in. Oh, really? I haven't watched that yet and I really want to. Yeah, I liked it. I, I mean, it was very kind of like mainstream crowd pleaser. And I think it sort of changed certain historical details to be more, um, I don't know, like to tick more kind of narrative boxes kind of thing. But I still really enjoyed it. You know, I thought it was well worth a watch. And it's um, Taraji P. Henson, I think, is in the main yeah. role. I think she's really great. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty sure, unless I'm completely misremembering, I think Kirsten Dunst is in a supporting role in that. Um, she's like not in a main role or anything, but I remember her being pretty good. And then she was in Melancholia, obviously, that was quite a while ago. Um, I think she took a little break from acting um, because she she had some mental health issues. So she kind of took a little break for a while. So I think that might be why she hasn't been in so much stuff lately. And also, you know, it's harder for actors, as, for women actors as they get older, uh, obviously. But obviously. Ho- yeah, but, um, you know, hopefully we'll see a little bit of a resurgence. I think she's made some really interesting choices in her last few roles. Like, I wasn't a big fan of Melancholia, but I thought it was a really bold choice, you know? Um, and I thought she was good in it. Um, yeah, she's great. And I mean, like, I watched a lot of, like, yeah, like, mid-2000s, 90s, uh, like, more independent movies because she was in it. And I think that mm. was kind of I got more interested in independent movies. Um, just recently, actually, my mom brought over boxes of all my old DVDs because not that long ago, if you wanted to watch a small indie movie, you had to buy the DVD. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I had forgotten about them, but I guess when I moved out of her house, I just didn't take them with me, and now she's moving and found them. And I found the DVD of this movie called Crazy Beautiful that Kirsten Dunst is in. And I remember, I haven't watched it since I watched the DVD back when I was a teenager, but I remember it's, like, a really good movie about, like, lower-class L.A., and, like, she falls in love with this, um, like, sweet Latino boy, and, like, they go to the same school, and it is, like, he takes the bus really far, and they fall in love, and it's, I think it's pretty gritty, and I really want to watch it again, because I'd completely forgotten about it until I saw that DVD, and I wouldn't have watched it if I wasn't such a big fan of Kirsten Dunst from Bring It On. Yeah, um, that really rings a bell, actually, the name. I'm pretty sure I haven't seen it, but the, the name of it definitely rings a bell. It sounds really good. That's, yeah, I really want to watch it again. I think I probably mm. soon, now that it's crossed my mind. And that was how I found out about The Virgin Suicides, too, which was also one of my oh, favorites. Yeah. Oh, yeah. time. I liked watching very dark things when I was a child. Um, sure, yeah. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> oh, did you see um, Did you see Little Women as well? Kirsten Dunst oh, I was did. I young Amy. So 
Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I really liked her work as kind of more of a child actor. Yeah, I thought she was great in Little Women. I thought she was great in Interview with a Vampire. One of the best things about Interview with a Vampire, actually, I think, Kirsten Dunst, like she really, you can see why that's her breakout. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think she's made some really interesting choices. And I think maybe she got like typecast a little bit, um, you know, doing kind of Mary Jane and stuff into a kind of um high school movie girlfriend kind of thing i don't know um but yeah i mean i i think that she's really interesting and obviously she um she's kind of been more in the zeitgeist recently i think because of her relationship with jesse plemons who is kind of making more of a name for himself and i think that's such an interesting like they um they're not like a traditional looking hollywood couple you know so I, I think that's a really kind of cool, um, ugh, I don't know, I, I don't want to like say that it's a cool choice for her that she fell in love with this guy, but it's just, I don't know, it, it just feels a little bit kind of quirky and unconventional and that I love that for her. Right. That's kind of been yeah. her thing. And then she was in the news recently too, because I think like Donald Trump used a picture of her when he was like showing his supporters. Okay. Or was it, it was either Donald Trump or Kanye West in their presidential campaign used a picture of her and she had to come up and be like I didn't consent to this picture being used like this isn't I didn't give yeah I didn't know I want to see if I can find it also when I was I just was looking through her movies to see other like older movies of hers that I might have seen and I didn't realize that she was the voice of Kiki in the English version of Kiki's delivery service oh yes I forgot about that but yes she is I actually watched that pretty recently um I mean I've seen it before but um but I watched it again pretty recently yes um she is uh it was Kanye West not Donald Trump who used her image in a presidential campaign so I feel like not as bad as Donald Trump using you. No, but no, it's not what you want, is it? Um, but but yeah, no, I'd, I'd actually forgotten about that. But yeah, she's great. Um, and we haven't even talked about um, Gabrielle Union, who doesn't have the biggest part in this film, but I think is fantastic, you know? Um, and I think that is such a great character. I think maybe if the movie were made today, it might be made from the point of view of the Clovers. I don't know. I- that that would be the best remake last yes. night and I was like ooh like and you could cast like Zendaya mm. um, there's a I'm sure there's other like sick young black actors that aren't coming to mind right now but that's one who I think of yeah um, sure or you could just cast Gabrielle Union again because she looks the same <laughs> as she was yeah. in that movie she doesn't age no, she's she's so good. And also the other thing that I would change um, if I were doing a remake, um, not that I would be the first choice as director, probably, but um, if I were doing a remake of it, I think apart from kind of either doing it from the point of view of the Clovers or doing kind of like a split point of view, the other thing I would do is um, I would make Torrance and Missy girlfriends. Because I feel like that's the subtext, right? I mean, how do you feel about that? Do you like the romance and bring it on? Does it work for you? I do. I really like it. Um, but now thinking of Torrance and Missy as partners, I think that I've never, that's never even crossed my mind. Really? Yeah. Oh my God. That's like, I, that's I, one I of love the first her and things. Cliff. Yeah. And Cliff is 100% like my type. <laughs> like, not physically, but just like the stoner rocker dude is, I mean, yeah. that's, that's who I live with now. <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, 
And so I think I was just so distracted by that and just like, but that's, now I want to watch it again, watching for that, because that sounds equally as fun. For me, like, that's one of the, the big things about the movie um, that always jumps out at me is like, why don't you just amalgamate those two characters of Missy and Cliff? Because they're so similar anyway. And it's they like, are. that's the, that for me, that's the real subtext. But, um, but no, I mean, I like Cliff. Um, I mean, he has an Elvis Costello picture in his bedroom and he listens to The Clash. And I mean, that's me all over. So, yeah. you know, I, I think he's a great character. I like him a lot. But I just, you know, I, I really feel like the subtext with, with Missy and Torrance is so there. And I, I wish that came out a little bit more. And I feel the same way about um, Pitch Perfect. Um, I don't know if you're a fan of that movie. I am a fan of that movie. Yeah, like I, I like like it a lot but for me it's so obvious that Britney Snow and Anna Kendrick should be the should be together in that movie and then there's just this guy who's kind of tacked on I'm kind of like uh I could do without him I feel like they it's a way to make the movie palatable to like society because if you let it as like a queer-led love story your chances of your ratings being way lower getting like boycotted or very high unfortunately and no so, definitely like, we're gonna write your subtext of a lesbian love story but we're gonna give you a guy so that we don't get you know our dvds burned or whatever else could happen but if the like southern yeah. united states gets a hold of it <laughs> absolutely especially 20 years ago yeah, but, exactly. you know, but is, if we made a remake now i think you gotta go that way i feel yeah. like um but one thing that I really love about bringing up, well, let's just talk about the whole Clover's plotline, which I think is so clever. Um, like, I think this was probably the first movie that I ever saw that really kind of delved into, like, cultural appropriation and yeah. kind of white people stealing the art of black people. I mean, I've seen it since and stuff like Dreamgirls and Hairspray, but I think that Bring It On was the first time... I ever really saw that being discussed um, in like a mainstream American movie, certainly, and maybe at all. Um, and it's done with such a light touch, but I think it's, I think it's so clever. I like that. It's not the whole, like the entire focus of the movie and that it also like, it's set up perfectly for like white saviorism. Yes. Um, when Torrance tries to give them the check and they say no and it really is a story of a group of black people coming through with their own community and not falling into that white saviorism trope um but you eventually you do still see that like brief understanding between um Torrance and Gabrielle Union's character where they do they do find some sort of understanding but it's still we're different we're not the same um and that they didn't have to use the Toros to get to their winning spot, which I thought was so awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. When I was rewatching it just now, uh, there was the part where Torrance is going to her dad for the money and everything. And I was kind of like, you know, I know that its heart is in the right place, but this doesn't really sit right with me. And then when, you know, when you get that turn, I was like, oh, that was, that's so smart. They really did that exactly right, you know? Um, and also, I think the fact that the Clovers and the Toros, I mean, there is animosity between them, but the Clovers aren't set up as antagonists. Like, they're no, clearly rooting for them. Yeah, they're clearly in the right. And I think that's what makes the ending so great as well. Um, because any other ending, I think, would have fallen flat. I think it's absolutely 
right that the Clovers should win. And I think it would be unsatisfying if they didn't. But I also think that the film keeps you guessing just enough that it comes as a pleasant surprise when they do. Absolutely. And like, yeah, I think it's cool that it shows competition, but in the end you're rooting for the non-main characters, which I think is so yeah, rare. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I totally agree. Did um, you ever see the movie um, Gotta Kick It Up? No. So it was a it was a 90s Disney Channel movie, um, which might be why you might not have seen it in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's America Ferrera when she's really young. Oh, wow. Um, and it's the story of a dance team in uh, California, and they're all uh, Latina girls. And it's a very similar kind of vibe where they're going to nationals and then they're competing with another team. Um, but they have this like white dance coach. So she has to like learn their culture and like learn how it works for them. And it's, it's very similar to bring it on. And I feel like it was like Disney channels diluted version of bring it on, but it's another really good movie that touches on a lot of the similar concepts. Um, but it's another like very underrated movie that I watch quite frequently. Well, if I ever renew my Disney Plus subscription, I'll see if it's on now. Yeah. I do. I love America Ferrara. I think she's great. Um, I mean, I, I was a big Ugly Betty fan back in the day, but also, um, oh, Superstore. Superstore is the name of the show that oh, I'm thinking yeah. of, which I think is really fun as well. Um, I have to, it, it like airs on some kind of weird, like, I think it's like an ITV offshoot channel or something. I haven't seen it for ages because I don't, I just have streaming services now. I don't have like TV TV, but I used to watch it and I really enjoyed it. Um, and I, I actually think it's a really underrated show. I don't know if you've seen it. I've seen an episode here or there. And I mean, like I identified with it a lot because mm. I used to work, I never worked in a grocery store, but I worked in a dollar store, which I feel like is very yeah. clientele and just like those, yeah, retail like commiseration is quite quite hilarious I'm really bad at getting into tv shows though like if there's more than like a few episodes or a few seasons I just cannot I I lose focus way too fast yeah I'm similar I my attention span is not great I love tv but I have a really bad habit of just kind of yeah like losing focus um or even like sometimes like Hannibal I was a really big fan of and then I never finished watching the third season just because I knew it was the last one and I knew I'm a really big fan of Richard Armitage I knew he was going to be in it and I knew it was going to catch up with the books and I'm a big fan of the books and it was just like too much pressure I was like (laughs) if this if this isn't good I'll be so upset and I just didn't watch it um and I still haven't to this day even though I consider Hannibal one of my favorite shows so yeah what can you do well, I was like, um, when we watched Game of Thrones, I couldn't, I didn't watch, I was really into it for like the first two seasons. And then by the end, I was like, okay, I've seen enough of this land. I'm over it. I will say that um, if you ever do decide to watch any more of Game of Thrones, you can skip the last two to three seasons and you will be much happier for it. <laughs> uh, it ended really badly. And well, it, I this possibly is- watched it because my boyfriend watched all of it. Um so I would just usually like do something else while he was watching it. So I've seen yeah. businesses, but yeah, it wasn't, I, I was just over it very quickly. I'll, I'd rather rewatch Bring It On or watch like old episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I did watch the whole thing and I kind of regretted it. So I think you, you made the right choice in that <laughs> particular, uh, in that one. 
Uh, anyway, getting back to bring it on. Um, you mentioned the kind of queer representation earlier. I think that's an interesting one because when I was rewatching it, there were certain things where I was like, okay, it's depicting homophobia, probably in a fairly realistic way, but I could probably have like done with a little bit less of people saying the F word, Absolutely. you know, the other F word, not fuck. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, that kind of thing. I think there's that fine line between depicting homophobia and kind of using that as an excuse to... Yeah, um, that was one aspect of it that I just was kind of like, oh, this is more... I, I, I could have done with a little bit less of that. And I also think um, there's, a, there's a little kind of suggestion that Whitney and Courtney might be a couple, but then they don't really decide to go down that route, which I think is a kind of a shame. I feel like it's kind of borderline for that. There is a gay character, but I feel like they could have gone further uh, because um, it's... You know, the queer representation isn't really much of an improvement on Clueless, even though it's five years later. I don't know. Um, that that was one aspect of the film that I was still a little bit on the fence about, I think. Um, but I think in a lot of other ways, it is really progressive, particularly in that kind of examination of cultural appropriation and the way that it looks at the kind of class aspects of that and how that feeds into it. Because in Clueless, it's like you have Dion and murray uh yeah. but but it you know and it does kind of I, I feel like they are depicted as being black for sure like um in terms of kind of the discussions that they're having and you know some of the language that they're using they're not just kind of colorblind casting yeah they are kind of I, written as black but it does kind of feel like tokenism yeah it's it, you know, they're still they're still very privileged. It doesn't really um, delve into the ways that race and class can intersect in the way that Bring It On does. Because um, I think Bring It On is very conscious of the fact that, you know, a lot of poorer neighborhoods are also going to be majority black, you know? Yeah. And I've, I feel like Clueless just doesn't really engage with that, which is fine. Like, that's a perfectly valid choice. That's not the and story I, it's telling. I but another way, too, that that I did appreciate about Clueless because it did show a black family that was equally as successful. Absolutely. As and as much as it would be interesting to see how much harder they had to work because to get to that level, obviously they probably would have. Um, but I did like seeing black people not portrayed as less than. Sure, um, absolutely. You don't see a lot, but it, yeah, it kind of is just glossing over the issue. Yeah, I think, I, I think there are two sides to it, right? Because... On the one hand, absolutely, I think that it's great to see. And I, I think Norman Lear actually talked about this. So a lot of Norman Lear shows didn't really travel to the UK, so I'm not super familiar with them. But I believe I'm right in saying I heard an interview with him um, that he actually kind of um, deliberately decided to make a sitcom with a black family that was more financially successful after speaking to some black people who were saying like, you know, we want to see that, we want to see that represented. Um, and I think that that was happening a lot in the nineties, you know, with like Fresh Prince of Bella, I was kind of yeah. showing both sides of that and everything. Um, but I, I do think it's really valuable as well to have a narrative like Bring It On, which acknowledges that class and race, certainly in the US, I mean here too, but I think in the US in particular are so closely linked, you know? 
Yeah, and then you still, like, they just, they depict that, but then you still get to see them have success. Um, yeah, but kind of in, in a way that's very much kind of rooted in um, solidarity is- within their own community. Absolutely, which I think, yeah, it's, it's a super, super great uh, depiction of it. Definitely. And I think another thing that's really kind of progressive about Bring It On is the way that it treats cheerleading very seriously and like shows that it actually is very athletic, that it is a real sport, you know, Yeah. which I think probably, I mean, we don't really do cheerleading in this country at all. Um, so my only real knowledge of it was seeing it on American TV shows and in American movies. And usually the cheerleaders would be kind of portrayed as very vapid. They'd usually be kind of the antagonists, yeah, the mean, girl. mean girls, side characters, you know, and I think that one thing this movie does that is great and probably really ahead of its time is, uh, kind of quest- like digging into that and questioning it and yes like some of the cheerleaders are still kind of vapid mean girls but that's not you know Torrance is kind of a deconstruction of that I think yeah exactly and she she yeah she's a hybrid I think she's a lot like Claire right where she had that or not Claire sorry Cher I've been watching The Bachelorette <laughs> <laughs> um Cher where it's the same thing it's she's she's still privileged and she probably has like thought of herself as better than because she's a cheerleader or whatever, but she is, you see them trying to do her best and she's not bad at her heart. Whereas, yeah, you see girls like Courtney and Whitney who, yeah, they're bitches, but you do want to have that character to be able to relate to. Um, Cause I'm sure that is the case in a lot of American schools. Canada is the same thing. We don't have cheerleading really. Like mm-hmm. it's an after school activity. If you like, you can go do a cheerleading club that's like a private thing, but it's not really part of your high school career. Whereas that was one thing that I always hoped, like wish that I could have gotten when I went to high school. And I was like, oh, wow, like it's like the cheerleaders in the football team. But that's not really a thing in Canada either. So I have the same perspective as you on that. Oh, that's so funny because I, I never would have wanted that. Like I'm the least athletic person. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, you know, like obviously it would have been nice maybe for some other people. But for me, I was just like, I'm I'm glad that we don't have such a like a kind of um, emphasis on school sports in this country. I do think it's crazy that the U.S. has these scholarships that are sports scholarship I mean it's not crazy that they have that I think that that probably is a really great kind of opportunity for a lot of lower income people although they only need that because the fees are so astronomical um but just the emphasis on like college sports and how much of a huge business that is and it's like as as popular as professional sports in the state like it's not really anywhere else it's odd isn't it and I I can't help but feel that those kids are exploited I saw I mean they don't get paid right and yet the colleges are making a ton of money off them um I don't know it it feels a little bit sketchy to me but don't get me wrong like the system in this country is not ideal either (laughs) not saying that but and I always think about it too because like I agree that sports uh athletes are paid way too astronomically high right like when you look at how much money they're making but also when you see the sacrifices that they've made from childhood to get to that point um I think a lot of people don't make like with their time and their sleep and like their social life and what they have to give up I think it's it's an interesting way to look at 
athletes. And it's interesting to bring cheerleading as that because you think athletes and you think the football player and the cheerleaders are just dancing around, but you see the same sacrifices that the cheerleaders are making and bring it on. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that that's one of the great things about the movie is that it doesn't kind of, um, it doesn't dismiss this feminine thing as being less than any other sport. And in fact, the cheerleading squad has more trophies than the football team. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's really great. Um, and I also like the fact that Missy kind of comes around to it. You know, she starts off being very skeptical and then she starts to kind of realize the value um, without losing sight of who she is. You know, it's not like a tie situation where she kind of, gets a makeover and you know changes her whole personality it's just that she kind of comes to realize the value of it and that it's not um it's not what she thought she was when she first went to the tryouts yeah absolutely um and uh so yeah so I, I think it does a lot of things right I think kind of avoiding that white savior narrative the discussion of kind of cultural appropriation um the kind of class and race aspect of it i think there's so much that it does really well um like i said i do wish maybe the queer stuff were maybe done a little bit more sensitively that's one thing but for 2000 i think that was where where we were as a society um which sucks yeah (laughs) but but you went to a high school in the year 2000 you would hear people saying the f word yeah. all the time like yeah. I think it was around that age or maybe like when I was a little bit older um that I really started was like oh I consciously shouldn't say that's so gay because that's mm-hmm. not appropriate and I think that was when that conversation was really starting to take off so it's kind of just like a a, a capture in time of where we were Absolutely. Uh, but I do yeah. wish that I because I found myself cringing a lot as well I mean, you know, absolutely. I think you have to kind of accept that it's of its time in that sense. Um, And I think it's, you know, it's a gray area, too, because I definitely don't think it's condoning that language. Like the people who are using it are definitely not the sympathetic characters. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, it's just kind of like it's not great to have to hear that over and over. Yeah, and it's not necessary. Like, it doesn't really push the story along. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other thing that I maybe had slight reservations about was, I don't know, do you feel like the camera work sometimes is a little bit leery? Like, do you feel like there's a certain level of kind of sexualization of these characters? Absolutely. But I think that's that's going along with the story as well. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's very, and even with like the casual mentions of like, uh, with Jan and his fingers with Courtney and her spanky pants, mm-hmm. uh, like just casual mentions of what could be sexual assault. Like you never see her consenting to it. You don't see her getting very upset, but, um, yeah, it's, it, it, that was another thing that kind of rattled me when I was watching it last time. I was like, Ooh, that's. Yeah. Not- I found that, you know, I, and, and I think there's so much that the movie does do right. Uh, and so much to appreciate it about it but I do think there are things that if we were remaking it today maybe we would kind of um you know tweak a little bit yeah what do you what do you think I I actually find I find the opening scene um with the dream sequence and the closing scene where they all lip sync to hey maybe (laughs) I I, like I it it's a little bit jarring to me I don't know like it's like it's a lot of fun but it's also kind of tonally 
not really in keeping with the rest of the movie, I feel like. It is. It's a total change up. Like, I find in the credit scene, that's the actors. Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of, I thought about this last night when I watched it, that these actors had to work so hard, probably, like, athletically, to do this this cheer but there's not actually a ton of scenes where you see them doing that so I feel like it's almost an opportunity for them to show off what they learned that's Uh, that's an interesting point yeah and I wish that more movies had those fun credit scenes because the yeah the oh Mickey you're so fine I never heard that song before and now it's I sing it all the time literally (laughs) because of this movie um I love that scene and same thing with the with the opening dream sequence it's just I can recite it by heart at the drop of a hat. Like it's just had such a big impact on me and it's so catchy. And I think it's so funny that it introduces Big Red as being this like really important figure in the movie. And then she's actually barely in it. Like she looms quite large in the narrative because she's the person who's stolen all these routines, but she's actually only in about four scenes or something. Yeah. Um, So it is really interesting that this like Torrance isn't even really the main person in that like opening coda um until until the end of it when she kind of like her top falls down somehow yeah (laughs) um, I think it's a really cool way of demonstrating the importance of that transition though from Big Red to her without having to dedicate a lot of time to Big Red um I also think it's interesting that when she that Big Red's the one that makes her drop the spirit stick oh yeah that's right yeah at that point she probably knew that Torrance was going to take over her position. And it's almost like she was cursing her intentionally, if this is something mm. that they believe in. That's really interesting. Yeah. I I think she's this very, she's quite a mysterious figure, actually, Big Red. Because she's in it so little, but she has such an impact on the plot. Like, she's the one who hands over the, um, the reins to Torrance, and she's the one who curses her with the spirit stick and she's the one who stole the routines like she's this huge driving force in the narrative and yet not actually in the film that much yeah you don't know anything about her other than those things and Mm. that she's mean yeah Um, you don't get to learn anything about like what her experience is like or what she's like as a person you just see her angry or in like cheerleading mode yeah it's really interesting I I think yeah it is kind of interesting structurally I guess she's the antagonist really of the film but then hardly in it at all which I think is you know with Clueless I would say that isn't really an antagonist with Bring It On I guess she's the closest thing there is to an antagonist and yet not actually a huge part of the film itself just this kind of like mostly unseen person pulling a lot of the strings yeah it's really cool I think you don't see that that often in movies Hmm. And then you have kind of antagonistic people, um, like those two jocks on the football team and like Whitney and Courtney. But Torrance's brother. Oh, God, yeah. He's so annoying. <laughs> oh, he is so obnoxious. I'm really on the fence about whether I think that that is a good addition to the film, because I think he's kind of authentically annoying, but I kind of find him annoying to watch as well. I don't know if it's like a good move on the part of the film to make this incredibly annoying little brother character. So I feel like kind you of move all of him and they wouldn't lose anything. I yeah I I kind I agree uh but then I kind of think well maybe the movie's doing something right making me so annoyed at him 
because like that's how Torrance feels. I don't know. But yeah, I think you could you could get rid of him and it really wouldn't be to the detriment of the film at all. That character was a really popular trope at that time of like TV. Because if you think about like even Stevens and Shia LaBeouf's character, Lizzie McGuire and her little brother, Malcolm in yeah. the Middle. Like I feel like the annoying but little Malcolm in the Middle is the only man. one that really came here. Oh, but, okay. Yeah, but Dewey, right, the little brother in Malcolm in the Middle. I mean, he was adorable. I loved, he was probably my favorite character on that show. Absolutely, except I thought the older brother was hot when I was like, yeah, you know, uh, same, same. <laughs> <laughs> For real. Um, yeah, that's such a great show, by the way. I feel like um, kind of semi forgotten now, Malcolm in the Middle, but I'd like um, to revisit it, I think. Yeah, definitely. We've been watching Vintage The Simpsons, and we've it's been the episodes where the mom from Malcolm in the Middle is the judge. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And I was like, I remember that being such a huge thing when that came out, because both TV shows were so huge, and that she was mm. going to be on it. Like, And so it would be fun to revisit Malcolm in the Middle, I think. Yeah, I'd like to give it another watch. I mean, I hear that Frankie Mooney's is an absolute nightmare. Oh, um, really? That I, I've heard things, but then again, it's kind of like, I feel like any star who starts off young goes through a phase where, like, the fame and the pressure gets to them. I mean, like, being a teenager is hard enough without being in the limelight and having and to deal with... And he got so big so fast. Yeah. Um, and I think just as, like a, like, a smaller, like, skinnier kid, I think he's the kind of kid that probably would have gotten bullied. Mm. Uh, and the fact that he did blow up so big, I think maybe it's it's kind of that trope, like in Mean Girls and kind of with Ty and, Clu- and Clueless, where you get so big so fast when you weren't that person and you just like your head grows exponentially. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm very, because yeah, I feel like there has to be a little bit of like short guy complex as bad, like I wouldn't paint all short guys like that, but you do see it from time to time. Yeah, um, and I think just any child star, I think you kind of need to, cut them a bit of slack because I think that lifestyle is an absolute nightmare and you know it's so common for people to just go off the rails and really understandable I think I mean I think about somebody like Lindsay Lohan and like my heart just breaks she was so talented and you know such a star and then what she had to go through got to her and you know I think that like I have so much sympathy for like having to live those really intense years for anybody like being a teenager is so intense and so hard for you know even if you have the the easiest time of it It and then to add on Hollywood you know yeah it was in that time when celebrity really became a thing too um where it was you were everywhere all the time and reality tv started to be a thing and like you think about Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan, Britney Spears, Frankie Muniz was in that same time and you see how how all these people just like got so huge but then that obsession with celebrity started yeah. and they crashed and burned really fast. For sure. um, but I mean, you know, it it wasn't a new phenomenon. I mean, the same thing happened to Judy Garland, you know, and in in the kind of old days of the um, studio system in Hollywood, they used to have a Dr. Feelgood on set to come and, like, give people drugs while they were working to keep them awake because they were yeah. working such, like, long hours. So I think that Hollywood and fame have kind of always been toxic. It's just that the way that they're toxic kind of shifts over the years. But I think it's just always been a nightmare. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, and yet we're sold it as being aspirational. 
but um but yeah i mean um bring it back to bring it on sorry going off on so many yeah. tangents but yeah i i do feel yeah that kind of um kind of mousy teen um i guess that's something that you also see in maybe like 500 days of summer which was a few years later you get that kind of the teenager who's wise beyond their years kind of thing i don't know yeah it seemed like a popular trope i can i could probably done without it in this movie although I do think that that young actor does a really good job but in terms of Torrance's family more generally one thing that I do really like is the fact that her her parents clearly hate um Aaron or Aaron as we would say I think that's really funny um because he is this kind of squeaky clean on paper perfect boyfriend he's a dirtbag he is a dirtbag and they clearly can see that um, and I really like that, that it's not this thing where it's like the parents are like, oh, I really think that you should stay with Aaron. You know, he gets such good grades and he's such a polite young man. We don't want you with this kid who's into the clash because that would be gross. You know, it's there's none of that at all. They just Which don't go there. Movies, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Like it would be so easy for it to just take that route to create conflict, but they don't bother. Um, and I think that that's like a really smart move. And I also love the fact that when she goes to break up with him, she's already decided to break up with him because of his behavior. And it has nothing to do with the fact that he's cheating. She finds out that he's cheating at the same time, but she's already decided to dump him anyway. Um, because and he, I, didn't, he didn't appreciate her skills. Like it yeah. was more that than like... It's about oh. her... Yeah, it's not like, oh, you're cheating on me, I'm going to break up with you, which, again, would be like... Because that's her a victim, and I think this puts her more in a position of power. Definitely, it's about her valuing herself, um, and I think that's great. And, you know, they they kind of have their cake and eat it too, because they have her being kind of empowered to break up with this guy who's just not a good partner, but at the same time, he is also a dirtbag, because he's cheating on her, and, you know... And all of this other stuff. But it would it just would have been very easy to go a different route where she's kind of staying with Aaron. Aaron, sorry. <laughs> we, we say Aaron. We say Craig. We, we pronounce our, our names differently here. Cecil <laughs> instead of Cecil. Cecil. Uh, yeah, Americans say Cecil. Um, we, we say Cecil. We say Craig. Um, Aaron, anyway. Uh, she goes to break up with Aaron. And... Um, and yeah, you know, it's not about the fact that he's cheating on her. He happens to be cheating on her, but it's not about that. It's about the fact that she's like, hey, you haven't been supportive of me and I deserve better. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, well. I I, think that's so much better than than doing it, you know, that she, she finds out he's cheating and she's heartbroken, blah, blah, blah. That would be the easy narrative um, choice to make, but it's... Yeah. They, reason she's struggling with cheer or whatever is because she's heartbroken and sad like she could have like an Elle Woods in the bed crying moment but she doesn't she walks away from that relationship just so strong and proud and then instantly falls in love with Cliff because she can and it's just so good (laughs) yeah and I think their relationship as well okay you have that thing where he's like oh you have a boyfriend how dare you uh, but it, you know, they don't really milk it too much, you know. It's like it's yeah. it's a conflict. It doesn't drag on for too long. I honestly think they could have done without that. I don't. I mean, I don't think she did anything wrong. Um, I mean, she never lied about having a boyfriend, and she never no, they really. Flirted, but they didn't. 
until he acted on it but he didn't know better yeah i mean i don't think he did anything wrong either but i think him kind of blaming her for that is maybe a little bit overblown but he gets over it pretty quickly and you know and and basically it's a mutually respectful relationship between two people who clearly really like each other um which is so great you know and i think also the fact that the romance isn't the central thing helps um because it just allows it to just be this kind of nice extra thing on top of her pursuing her own goals yeah it's it's fantastic like and he yeah he does just kind of sit back quietly like, he never would have gone to a cheerleading competition at the beginning oh yeah and he was Absolutely. there cheering on and like rocking out one of my favorite scenes in that whole movie is when in their final uh performance when the song he writes her comes in and he just like headbangs so hard like, yeah. this thing like that's where I fall in love with Cliff I'm like he's such a cheese ball even though he's like Mr. Cool Punk guy Absolutely. I think he's really likable. I just, I mean, I love Eliza Dushku so much. And I think the chemistry between her and Kirsten Dunst is really good. And, you know, I'm kind of rooting for that. But I absolutely think that Cliff is also a great character. And, you know, like I said, I mean, his musical tastes are kind of right on the money for me, especially the Elvis Costello thing. I wish there were a little bit of Elvis Costello in the movie. That would just like push it right over the top for me because I'm a big Costello head. But, uh, but yeah, definitely. Like when you see his room with all those posters, I'm kind of like, yeah, he's got pretty good taste, you know. So I definitely don't have anything against him as a character, and you know, I really like the performance. Um, he's very cute. It's just I feel like he and Missy could be the same person, and that would work so much better for me. But I like that as an allegory, though, that they are basically the same person. Yes, and it's almost like maybe like a little bit of a Fight Club thing. That's that's. I, I, that's my fan theory I like that movie. so much <laughs> that, like he's like a Tyler Durden and that actually she's just dating Missy <laughs> it doesn't totally hold up but I, yeah. I'm into it I'm, a, I'm gonna rewatch it again even though I watched it a, like a night <laughs> ago and watch it like that I think it's well, that I think it's on the same night yeah <laughs> Um, no, I definitely think you can read that into it. Um, and as I say, when we make our version of it, that's what we'll do. Yeah. Clearly. I'm a Wim fan because of him, again, because I loved Bring It On, and it was such a different, scary character, and I was like, no, I don't like this. Man, I don't actually think I've seen Swim Fan. I'm, like, aware of it. It was kind of like a fatal attraction kind of thing, right? It was like a, yeah... I remember when it came out, it being absolutely huge, but I think I just didn't, you know, I was probably a little bit too young to go and see it, I imagine, and I just never got around to seeing it, but I remember people talking about it a lot, and it being this kind of huge phenomenon. Well, and it came out two years after Bring It On, so I think a lot of it was riding on his fame from Bring It On, which helped it get so talked about. Um, I don't know if I'd say it, like, I've never watched it again, but I remember it just being very, like, uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, I guess it was kind of like an erotic thriller, but for teens was kind of the vibe that it had. Yeah, but it was, like, yeah. I think it wanted to be Cruel Intentions, but... Oh, yeah, of course, because Cruel Intentions probably was around that time, right, or... Yeah, let me, I think it might have been a little bit earlier. I keep, sorry, I keep going off on all these other movies that I love, but now no, I'm just it's in, so good. Like, 90s, 2000s Vortex. I watched Scream last night. Like, I'm like, oh, I don't wow. want made after 2005. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah, Cruel Intentions was 1999, so just before. 
Right, okay. So yeah, so it was probably kind of harking back to that a little bit. I'd actually forgotten about Cruel Intentions. Um, and that, of course, was another like high school literary adaptation, like Clueless or 10 Things I Hate About You, because it was Dangerous Liaisons. Oh, see, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I think that was like a big um, a big thing at that time, like a big trend was to kind of take literary classics and turn them into high, like modern high school. I mean, there was like obviously Baz Luhrmann's Romeo plus Juliet as well. Yeah. And they tried to do it with Othello. I think that wasn't as successful. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like a big trend at the time. I feel like that's fallen out of fashion a little bit, although I, I guess all of those remakes. I guess Easy A was technically the Scarlet Letter, but it was a lot looser, I think. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think they're still kind of doing it, but it's just... Oh, God, and then Revenge was... um, Oh, God, The Count of Monte Cristo. That wasn't high school, though. That was... She was an adult, right? I don't know. I didn't watch it, but (laughs) I heard about it. That was a TV series, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was a TV series. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I didn't watch it, but um, but I, I just remember that it was based on Count of Monte Cristo. So it's like it's still kind of happening, but I feel like there was a big boom of it in the like mid 90s to mid 2000s. That was just yeah, like yeah. A, a real trend. Um, and yeah, I don't I don't really feel like there's been one in the last few years. Um, oh, and then there was that one. I think it was called Get Over It or something like that. And that was a Midsummer Night's Dream. That was early 2000s as Ooh. well. I think that's what it was called. I remember seeing that at the cinema. Um, I barely remember it. And it's like not on any streaming and it, services. It had Kirsten Dunst in it. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I completely forgotten that. Um Ooh, now I want to watch that too. Anything with like this super '90s vibe, like, and the fashion is the same as what we're wearing right now, and it's just so yeah. Good. There's a big '90s resurgence happening right now. Be wow. a great place for outfit inspiration. Just all these old movies. Like, I need a tank top and some baggy cargo pants. Stat. <laughs> well, speaking of, what would you say is the best outfit across these two films what's the thing you'd be most likely to wear oh absolutely Cher's opening outfit oh wow so mine would yeah that's great I can't wear yellow I just don't have like the complexion for it um but mine would definitely be a Cher too but it's the the one she wears for her driving test and then I think she's still wearing that same outfit when she's like wandering through the city thinking about Josh and realizing that she's in love with him and it's kind of like it's like a sheer kind of shirt dress that she's wearing this little sweater over and it's all white. That sounds ideal. Also, the yeah. outfit that she wears when she gets robbed with like the oh, fur yeah. jacket thing and like the, the slip dress. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of a slip dress. So oh, I, yeah. I, would, I would wear that in a heartbeat. Um, but I've been on a quest for like my own version of her opening suit, but that doesn't look like a Cher Horowitz Halloween costume. Yeah, um, that's the tricky thing. And there's a lot by like Fashion Nova and stuff, but Cher Horowitz wouldn't wear fast fashion and neither will I. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to learn how to sew. That's that's still better than buying from fast fashion. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think that outfit is so iconic. I know that I couldn't pull it off, but it's, you know, absolutely. It's like, it's, it's the image from that movie, I think. Yeah. Um, it's the first thing I think of when I think about Clueless. Um, but absolutely. I mean, like, I, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of 90s fashion, but anything that Cher wears, I would wear. Absolutely. Yeah. 
she's but she's an icon. More practically, I would dress like Missy for <laughs> Bring It On. Yeah, she's yes, absolutely. Um, I think that she's. I mean, hers is more kind of low key, but definitely very cool. Yeah. Um, I would definitely, I think, dress. I would go for Missy over Torrance as far as kind of fashion icon goes. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Though high school me would have been all over Torrance. Like, I was very matchy-matchy in little tank tops and, like... I was much more of, like, a Missy slash Josh, I think. Um, That was more my vibe. Slash, like, uh, I don't know. Like, I was one of the... And I still am one of those people who'd wear, like, corduroy and, like, blazers and stuff like that. Kind of like... That, too. Yeah, I was was kind of like, yes, I'm a professor from the 1950s. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was that was that was like often my vibe it was between that and the uh, more kind of like low-key I was never into grunge but that look definitely was something that I kind of rocked sometimes um I've never yeah I've never been much of a clothes horse but I definitely like you know I could see myself wearing a share outfit in my wildest dreams you know <laughs> yeah I very much swing from opposite ends of the spectrum like I'm either dressed like a full share in a slip dress and heels and whatever, or I'm full band tees and jeans and army jackets. Like there's, I I can go both ways depending on the event that I'm attending. Um, Totally. Why limit yourself, right? Influenced heavily by my love of nineties teen movies. Like that's, that's, there was always a character that was the big clothes horse and that I I've always been that person. Oh, uh, I wish I were, I, I've never, I've never done it. I mean, you know, I, I try to make a little bit, well, I say now, um, in the last six months, I barely got dressed, but um, <laughs> prior to that, you know, sometimes I try to go for a little bit of flash, but, um, but yeah, generally my default is more the kind of slouchy kind of thing. Um, well, I, we've been talking for nearly an hour and a half, which is a record for my show. Yay! Um, yeah, I know. So um, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you'd like to um, talk about before we kind of sign off? I think we hit most of the points that I had I had in mind. It was a really fun conversation. I think it's cool to take these movies that are seen as kind of basic chick flicks, whatever, but delving into a lot more of the messaging that they have and showing that they are a lot more than just like a chick flick. Absolutely. Uh, the only reason that I mean, it's like we were saying about cheerleading. It gets dismissed for being feminine, but it's actually a lot more serious than people give it credit for. And it's the same with these movies. You yeah. know, just just because something's like aimed at women or has women as main characters does not make it basic, you know? No, absolutely not. And if you can, yeah, watch it with a little bit of a critical eye, which this was one of the first times that I really did that. Normally I do just watch them as like fun fluff, but it was really, really fun to talk about them more in depth. And if you ever need anyone to talk about, yeah, a high school teen movie from the 90s to 2000s, I pr- could probably write a thesis on them at that point. So Amazing. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And if I ever, absolutely, if I ever, ever do another 90s to 2000s high school movie, I'll know who to call. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I had a super fun time. This was a great way to start off my Sunday. Oh, me too. Yeah, I'm kind of finishing off my uh, my Sunday because of time zones. But uh, but yes, thank you so, so much for coming on. And um, I really appreciate all your thoughts. It was great to talk to you. And uh, I guess that's us signing off. Thank you so much.
And again, that was Erica Jade Mulherin, uh, who I'm just so grateful to have spoken to. Um, so many really interesting points came out, I think, in that conversation. And I hope that we have the opportunity to speak again. As always, you can follow my reviews on Letterboxd um, at Panicky in the UK. You can follow me on Twitter at Panicky Pictures. The links to both of those will be in the description. So come and say hi. And I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. I will talk to you again soon. And as always, you're a virgin who can't drive. <laughs>